Let us pray. Our gracious Father, once again we come before You and thank You for Your great grace and Your great mercy. We thank You that we have something to look forward to after this life. We will have a body that gives us no more pain, no more discomfort, no more afflictions. And we thank You that we have this to look forward to. We pray that You would be with loved ones, family, friends, who from all appearance do not know Thee, And pray, our God, that You would show Your mercies unto them and bless them to know the Lord Jesus Christ and bow down to Your Word and serve Him with all fullness. We pray that You would bless us who profess to know You to serve You with all fullness. That You would bless us to put away the things of this world and the things that hinder our fellowship with You. We pray that You would show Your mercies in such a way. Now again, Bless us as we endeavor to study Your Word a little bit more. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we left off looking at verse 2 of 1 John chapter 1, it says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and uh, was manifested to us. It was made visible. It had been hidden. The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ was not something that was so clearly revealed in the Old Testament. But now it's made known, and made known unto us in many ways. And John said, we bear witness to this, and that we, that is to affirm that one has what has seen or heard or experienced something, or that he knows it because taught by divine revelation. 
And therefore we can find that we too are to know these truths because we have been taught by divine revelation. You know, sometimes you hear people make the statement, well, the things of Christ are just so plain, I don't know why anybody can't see it. Well, the reason they can't see it is because God hasn't opened their eyes. We at one time were blind and uh, happy in our ignorance. But when God opened our hearts and manifested Himself unto us, we find that we are to also bear record of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to give a good report and to show the things of God and to bring the tidings of the Word of God to others uh, that will hear us. Sometimes the breach becomes between us and other folks that they don't even want to give us a hearing. And when that's the case, there's nothing we can do but pray. And even then, sometimes we, because of the weakness of our own flesh and the sinfulness of our own flesh, we sometimes get tired of praying and think, well, there's no use. But uh, we, must, we must not faint ourselves. We must continue to pray for those who do not know or see Thee, see Him. This eternal life with the Father, I like a statement or two. I'm going to read one from a man by the name of Kenneth Weist. He said, All of which means that the life here referred to is a person. For it requires a person to have fellowship. You see, you can't fellowship a thing. You can't fellowship a thing. You can have a picture of someone, but you can't fellowship that picture. All you can do is look at it. You don't have any re interaction with the picture. The picture can't talk to you. You can't talk to the picture. You can't feel the person in the picture. Uh, you can't fellowship a rock. You can't fellowship a car. You can only fellowship a person. And Jesus Christ is such a person that we can fellowship. We can enjoy His company. Reading on from Pink, I'll start at the beginning again. All of which means that life here refers to a person for it requires a person to have fellowship. A mere abstraction can have no fellowship. The life here is none other than the Lord Jesus Himself who said by John to have been in fellowship with the Father. <clears throat> also borrowing from A.T. Robertson, the renowned Greek scholar, the eternal life here is 
with the accusative of the intimate of fellowship or that is towards the Father. However, in verse 3, the fellowship we have is with others. So we have fellowship with the Father, we have fellowship with the Son, and we have fellowship with each other. If you do not have fellowship with the Father, and you do not have fellowship with Christ, you cannot have fellowship with man. Now man on a natural level can have fellowship, but not on a spiritual level. And as we're going to see, the more that we get into this epistle, that knowing God, fellowshipping God, loving God, is inclusive of knowing, fellowshipping, and enjoying and loving God's people. You cannot have an aversion to the people of God and know God. Christ, He says here that for the life was manifested and we have eternal life and we have uh, Christ is our life in every way. We have natural life through Christ. We have spiritual life by Christ. We'll have resurrected life by Christ. And we will have the life of glory in and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly, as Acts 3.15 says, he is the Prince of Life. He is the Prince of Life. And he says in this, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now you remember that this word fellowship is also translated what? Communion. Communion. And so the word fellowship means association, community, communion, joint participation, and intercourse. Now intercourse is talking about, uh, it's not talking about sexual ideology, uh, ideolo Ideologies is talking about just a, a, a close relationship and fellowship one with another. Though there is an intimacy in this fellowship. And there are three uses in basic context of this word 
fellowship. There's three basic ideas of this word fellowship that is found in the New Testament. One is, it's a share that one has in anything. It's a participation. In other words, we share together something. Uh, we have two in our congregation that uh, shares a, an apartment together. That's a fellowship. That's a joint sharing in something. And I want us to look at this joint participation as it's used in the Scriptures, but then I'll bring out the other two. Another one's called intimacy or intercourse or fellowship. And then the third one is called uh, it's a contribution or an embodiment or a proof of fellowship in that way. But we're going to look at these three. The first one is where you have a participation with someone in something. Now notice, who is our fellowship with in this verse? Not only with each other, but with Jesus Christ and God. Alright, look at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, now notice this, if any fellowship of the Spirit we as Christians who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, we have fellowship not only with each other, but we all have fellowship with the same Spirit. Fellowship with the same Spirit. I'm trying to think of a of an illustration. Let's say that there's some renowned person All right, let's let's just say that that all of us in this room are close friends with the governor of this state. Then we could all say that we fellowship together with our fellowship with the governor. That's a joint participation. A joint fellowship. Well, beloved, notice what we have here. Our fellowship is with the Spirit. We have the same Spirit of God and therefore we fellowship not only with the Holy Spirit, 
but we fellowship with each other as we fellowship with the Spirit. We enjoy together the Spirit's person. In Philippians 3.10, there's another thing that we fellowship together with. Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. We have fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. Now you may suffer one thing and I may suffer something else differently or we might fellowship, uh, we might suffer the same thing but we can say in all of our sufferings for the cause of Christ that we have fellowship in His sufferings. And we have fellowship one with another. In Philemon, the book of Philemon, in verse 10, we see another joint participation I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Well, I've got the wrong verse here. There's another. Let's see. Well, I don't know what... Must have been asleep when I was typing that point. Uh, but anyway, there's a... Uh, let's look at verse 6. I believe that may be it. That the communication of thy, fellowship, thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing. If I remember correctly, it's this word communication. That's also translated fellowship. First Corinthians chapter ten and verse sixteen. First Corinthians ten and verse sixteen. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion, fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, fellowship of the body of Christ? So here we see a uh, of the blood and body of Christ. We have a fellowship. We have a joint participation in that. Christ died for me. He also died for you. We enjoy that together. Ephesians chapter 3 Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9 And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. This mystery is that Christ should come into the world and that the Gentiles should be partakers of the same uh, 
salvation. But we all fellowship in that together. This idea of intimacy or intercourse of fellowship, first of all in Galatians chapter 2. Verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and John, who perceived to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave unto me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. In other words, what they were saying to Paul and Barnabas is we're with you, brother. We're behind you. Now, our ministry is with the Jews. Yours is with the Gentiles, but uh, we're for you. We pray for you. In other words, they had a close fellowship there. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, What communion hath light with darkness? There's no intimacy there. There's no fellowship with that. And others, I'm not going to uh, uh, belabor this point. If you want to look at others, look at Acts 2.42, Philippians 1.5. I will look at, uh, go back to 1 John where we see this fellowship with the saints, this intimacy that we have in 1 John, not only the 1 John uh Chapter 1 and verse 3. But notice 6 and 7. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, <coughs> excuse me, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Here you see this close intimacy that we have with all the saints of God. We, we participate in the blood of Christ. And then the idea of having fellowship that is ministering to others. Uh, I'm not going to belabor the point there. Also, but I give you some passages to look at. Second Corinthians eight four. Also in the same book, chapter nine and verse thirteen. I do want to look at Romans fifteen verse twenty six. Romans fifteen Verse 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution, fellowship, for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. When you give money to the poor, you are communicating to them you are fellowshipping with them in their poverty. You're helping them in their poverty. 
You're encouraging them. And you're supplying some of their needs. Then you see that same concept in Hebrews 13, verse 16. And I've got 12 other verses here because this word for fellowship is used some, uh, I think it's 20, 20 or 20 some odd, 20 times uh, in the New Testament. But we're not going to look at all of that. But I will just read these for you if you want to write them down quickly. In Acts 2.42, it, it's used for the first time without any specific information. In other words, they have fellowship one with another. Acts 15, Romans 15.26 is contribution financially to the poor saints, which we just read. 1 Corinthians 1 9, we're called effectually into the fellowship of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 16, which we've also looked at, the communion with the body and blood of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 14, reference to light and darkness having to do with marriage. Uh, communion of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 13 14. We've already seen the right hand of fellowship, the mystery of the fellowship in Galatians 2 and Ephesians 3, uh, Philippians 1 9, uh, fellowship in the sufferings of Christ and communication of faith, and so on. So you see how the word is used throughout the New Testament. And when he says that he writes these things, that we might have fellowship with Christ. From studying the verses above that we kindly went through quickly, it can easily be seen that fellowship or communion with the Lord includes fellowshipping the Father and the Holy Ghost and the saints. Again, I want to emphasize, you do not have fellowship with God and not have fellowship uh, you do not. You, 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 let me think. I'm about to say this wrong. You you do not have fellowship with the Father. Well, if you don't have fellowship with the Father, you don't have fellowship with the saints. Now, you may have a group of people that profess to be believers that say we have fellowship. But if you're not having fellowship with the Father and with God, your fellowship with each other is nothing more than a natural affection. It's not spiritual fellowship. It's not intercommunication in in that way. Fellowship with the saints includes worshiping together in like-mindedness and willingness to share one's time and wealth with each other. Sharing one's time and wealth with each other. In the true sense of the word, we rejoice with them that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. 
I have some more word studies down here that I don't think it would necessarily be profitable for us to go into. But I hope you can get the idea of what fellowship and communion is. Communing with Christ is daily enjoying His company. It is sharing with Him. It is participating with Him events in your life. It is doing it with a conscious awareness of His presence. It is listening to Him as He speaks to you in His Word. Without question, it is walking in obedience to Christ. Second Timothy, excuse me, second, First John chapter two said or says, First John chapter two and verse four. He that saith I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So without question, communing and fellowshipping with Christ is walking in obedience to him. Now, when we talk about uh, communion, oftentimes with each other, we're talking about a communion of equals. It is that, but here, when we're communing and having fellowship with Christ and with God, it is a communion or a fellowship of a superior to an inferior. Think about this. Regardless of the man's character, and I would ask you to try to not think about that, but think about the office. The office of the President of the United States. If we were to be invited to the office of the presidency, even to have a dinner with him, and I'm not talking about a formal dinner, but just a casual dinner, it would still be a superior to an inferior. Because his office is the highest of the land. And we are only a citizen. If the president were to have an informal meal with the president of another country, then you would have a communion, a fellowshipping of equals. Because both of them would be in the highest office. 
And so our fellowship with Christ is not of equals. He's superior. We are the inferior. Now, we might be in the presence of a superior. You might be someone, uh, say the president of a company that you would work and he would invite you to his home and you would call him Mr. This and Mr. That. And he's, well, just call me Bob. And you might have the intestinal fortitude or the uh, comfortableness of addressing him by his first name, but you would still realize there's a distinction. They're still a superior to an inferior. And so must we ever realize and know that our communion with Christ is not only, even though we are, elder, he's our elder brother, and though he's our brother, our kinsman, redeemer, and our prophet, priest, and king, our friend, and so on, we're not equals. We're not equals. But he, even our father, even the Father of Christ, the God of the universe, gives us the intimacy of calling Him Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba is one of the closest terms of familiarity of a child to a parent. Much like saying Dada or Papa or Daddy. Daddy was the title that I used to address my father. But at no time did I ever consider myself equal to my father? We had some good times together. We hunted together. We worked together. We joked together. Sometimes we scuffled together. We enjoyed each other's company. And my dad had a ticklish spot under his neck that uh, that was the only place he was ticklish. And there was a time or two I was able to get him down on the floor and tickle him there and sit across his stomach. And uh, I had the best of him. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a delight to do that. But it was never, it was always in good humor. And I always always knew that he was the superior. We must ever realize that though we have fellowship with Christ as our elder brother, there's a superior to an inferior.
I want to read from C.H. Spurgeon. Well, actually, it was, uh, it was it's supposed to be a condensation from Matthew Henry's commentary by C.H. Spurgeon in Spurgeon's commentary taken from his Treasury of David. <laughs> so you have a quote of a quote of a quote, you might say. But I thought this was good from Psalm 25.5. David said, On thee do I wait all day. Spurgeon's condensation of Matthew Henry's and this was from Matthew Henry, not his commentary, but from his sermons on communion with God. And I didn't take the time to look it up in my book of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Henry on communion with God. I found that in a used bookstore years ago. But anyway, here's the quote. It is to live a life of devotedness to God. As the servant waits on his master, ready to observe his will and to do his work, and in everything to consult his honor and interest. To wait on God is entirely unreservedly to defer ourselves to His wise and holy directions and disposals, and cheerfully to acquiesce in them and comply with them. The servant that waits on his master chooseth not his own way, but follows his master step by step. Thus must we wait on God as those that have no will of our own, but what is wholly resolved into His, and must therefore study to accommodate ourselves to His. Communion with Christ is also like that of a bride who deeply loves her spouse and continually studies His person and His ways that she might Enjoy Him fully. Song of Solomon, one in an ideal marriage relationship that affects one partner affects the other. So likewise it is with Christ and the Christian. We are partakers in His death and we shall be in His glory. And we are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17. We do... And so I would ask, do we commune with Christ? Do we commune in His sufferings, His rejections, His love, His mercy, His sacrifice, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His glory, His return, and other things? Do we fellowship Christ in His reconciliation, justification, sanctification, perseverance, righteousness, and other doctrines? Study these things, beloved. Meditate on these things that you might enjoy your Savior. That you might enjoy your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us 
Help us to lay aside this flesh that so hinders us in our fellowshipping You and Your Son. May it be vital, alive, yea, in the depths of our soul. In Jesus' name, Amen.